Hi. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hello. It's always a good time to talk about this dark corner of our minds that we just can't let go. Yeah. But a little disclaimer, maybe, you know, it is a true crime comedy. So we kind of make fun of things, never the victims. That which makes us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. we may laugh about a little bit. Make fun of them. If that's not your jam. That will get us through. And <laughs> see, see you later. See, see you later. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, lots of mosquito bites since last we talked. They're yeah. out to suck our blood. Not mine. I'm a sourpuss, apparently. They don't like me much. What the hell's wrong with you? I don't know. It's my blood type, I think. No, it's your Chanel. Ooh, that could be. Yeah, someone came into the office and they were like, who smells good? And they're like, look Who's at me. Who's burning candles? Like, it's not you. You're like third best. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come over here. Smell me. Smell me. They're like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> oh, Okay. I'm glad I'm glad I smoke like a can I mean smoke smell like a candle. So it's Chanel chance if anybody wants to know. Yeah, we we do. We all want to know. Well, it's only my second favorite. So so to our listeners, if you, if you have a perfume that you could recommend for me, <laughs> <laughs> so I can one up Claudia. Uh, or at least smell a little bit better yeah. on the other. Uh, here I am, Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you want to smell good, uh, and I get compliments on this all the time. So there are two. One is, um, it's called Good Girl by uh, Carolina Herrera. And the other one is called uh, Baccarat. 524 or whatever but I get the knockoff because I can't pay $399 for that perfume so I get the knockoff which smells just like it it's amazing I wear Ariana Grande sweet like candy I'm gonna recommend you don't buy it because apparently (laughs) you're third best no it does you always smell good Well, thank you, my wife, my work wife. I appreciate that. You should should see her today. She's taken, she can go from daytime to nighttime in a matter of seconds. It looks beautiful. Love it. Thanks. We (laughs) talked about how my wardrobe today could also double as a murder weapon. Yes. (laughs) Because it's similar to that of a disco ball, but it could also blind you. And how I wore this to work, I have no idea. I don't know. It looks amazing. Thanks. You always do. Oh, thanks. And people that know you will definitely agree with me. Thank you. Thank you. Look at it. I should see her blush a little bit. I am a a little. (laughs) Jeez, why am I? Oh, my God. Stop. So cute. No. All right. So you want to know something kind of cool and creepy? Mm -hmm. Look at this. Look at this really fast. It's a lake. Hold on. I got to put on my. Sorry, guys. Sorry. I got to put on. Ooh. Okay. It's a lake, but it looks like an eyeball. It does. Where is this? In Iceland. Hang on. Lake Carid, and it's called. The eye of the world. Oh, it does look like an eyeball. It looks awesome. Looks like an eye, which isn't murder related, but it is a little weird. A little, a little creepy. A little creepy. Yeah. And speaking of creepy, mm-hmm. I have some creepy shit to talk about today, you guys. Now, what I want to know is, did you guys... Refresh your memory of the Night Stalker. Did you re- go back and rewatch that shit? I Did you do it? Not. I have not. Okay. But I know I should because 
you know how it is. You, you start a documentary, you watch it, you like it. Um, you know, but then I do that when I research true crime and then I rewatch it and I think, how did I miss this? Is this a different one? Is this new? Why did not, why don't I remember this? So yeah, I think you pay more attention. Well, I think it's like with you, we were talking about how you are watching criminal minds like Mm -hmm. over again now, which I could totally snuggle up with you and watch that too, to go to sleep too. That would be great. Right. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe it was on and I was into it, but I wasn't into it, mm-hmm. but yeah, I rewatched the whole thing, uh, four episodes and what, and, and it is the second time it's like you pick up more information. Yeah. So I try not to cover everything that's in there. I didn't really do this story the way I normally do, mm-hmm. uh, just cause He's such a well-known Richard Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows him. Right. Every If you're into true crime, I mean, you know, he had bad teeth. We all know he um, was ugly. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he had this mullet that wouldn't quit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because you saw this picture of my dad with his mullet, right? Oh my God. Oh my God. I so mean, cute. I don't want to talk about my dad and his mullet on our podcast. He's definitely not a listener, does not condone this in any way. Right. And we recently, um, my sister was here and all my family from out of town, you know, South Carolina, St. Louis, you know, Indy, it was Mm -hmm. so good to see everybody. And, um, I, I worry that my grandpa possibly maybe listened to an episode. I don't know. But anyway, um, if you know about true crime, you know about Richard Ramirez. Mm -hmm. You just do. You do. do. If you're not that much into it, everybody, I'm sure everybody knows him. Everybody knows him. Mm -hmm. So we're in the midst of our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. And it's been interesting to investigate our theories mm-hmm. on like who would win the Olympic gold medal in each of these categories, <laughs> right. right? Because we're just like, you know, and it wasn't hard to pin Ramirez to wrath right away. Claudia was like wrath Ramirez, um, uh, because he's like human of the year. He had, he was all over the place, like wrath, like everywhere full of evil and anger. He wasn't discriminating. (laughs) Not at all. No. So this is our fifth one, right? Yeah. So if you haven't heard the first four, I'm going to suggest you pour a hard drink and make an evening of it. Mm -hmm. Go back, listen to the other ones and then Mm -hmm. come back and join us for the fifth. Um, but hopefully you've already watched the night stalker on Netflix and then I'm going to get you up to speed from here because I found some really cool info that I didn't know before. And I love that. I love that too. Um, so the documentary kind of gives, you know, the play-by-play of the investigation from the police standpoint mm-hmm. of the, his 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of sexual assault, and 14 counts of burglary. So, um, and it and it all happened like really, really quick, mm-hmm. all together, like during the summer of '85. Okay. I was like four years old, you guys. I'm not gonna tell you how old I was. I was older. So I, yeah. The in this this happened in LA, which I'm always in LA. Every you are. That's we have a type. Is. Uh, we do. Um, so he was creeping into homes at night, you know, and he would first usually go to the men in the house, shoot them with a 22, mm-hmm. and then go after the woman if she was there, rape, stab, or mutilate, you know, the woman. And uh, sometimes he would leave satanic pentagrams on the bodies before he left. Well... 
so by August of that summer, he had murdered at least a dozen people and they were just desperate to stab him. So like you said, he had no pattern or MO mm-hmm. and that was something they had never seen before. And, you know, it put every single person in the area at risk, young and old. Right. I mean, it was crazy. That I think that is what made it even more scary. You know, because a lot of times they have a type and you're like, well, I'm not blonde. I'm kind of in quotation marks safe, but it didn't matter to him. Grandmas. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter. I mean, there was an 81 year old woman. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the youngest was six. Just crazy. So, um, the documentary focuses on the police officers that cracked the case and his surviving victims. And I forgot that they had, you know, one of the little girls that pinned him in the lineup and identified him. Mm-hmm. She was on the documentary as an adult. Oh yeah. It was pretty amazing stuff to, to see her talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, at, um, but they really, they left Ramirez kind of on the sidelines during the whole thing. And that was deliberate because the director felt he got too much attention in the public mm-hmm. eye. Um, you know, he played in a movie called The Night Stalker, not to be confused with the documentary. Mm-hmm. Totally different thing. I didn't even know this was out there. But it was released in 2016. Oh, and he, not that long ago. Yeah. So, and he's also in two seasons of An American Horror Story. That I knew. Do you watch that? that? Well, okay. Yes and no. I've only watched, and I never know, I don't know what season it was, but the last one I watched was The Hotel with Lady Gaga. And I haven't watched anything since. And my kids keep telling me I need to, or Isabella tells me I need to keep watching. So, but I liked it. I couldn't get into it, but that makes me want to go back and see where he was mm-hmm. and how they, how they played him. So, but they didn't, they didn't want to like idolize him by giving him glory through any type of fame. Mm-hmm. So, but there were some great crime scene photos that were displayed, you know, but it doesn't feature the killer himself in any kind of capacity that I expected, okay. you know, it just kind of left me with more questions because the truth is he it really is more evil than what most people can imagine. Mm-hmm. So, We're going to take a trip into the weirdness of his story, something that that video didn't give you. Okay. I'm ready. All right. I'm here for it. And and I love you for it because you're just as weird as me. So the ending is my absolute favorite. You know it. You know the ending is my favorite. But, you know, why did he do the things he did? And so you kind of have to look at his early years and life to see what kind of primed him for later trouble. And it doesn't say anything about this there, but according to Philip Carlo's biological crime book titled The Night Stalker, Ramirez's family were the only thing that ever made him feel any remorse for what he had done. And that's kind of why he hid, they said, um, Somewhere there were people who loved and cared for him deeply, the book reads, describing the reason Ramirez never wanted to be caught or publicly linked to the string of crimes he left. Um, So his actual given name, birth name, was Ricardo Mm -hmm. Ramirez, but his family called him Richie, and he was the youngest of five children born to Julian Ramirez and his wife Mercedes in El Paso, Texas in 1960. Now, this was insanity because while she was pregnant with him, Mercedes had gotten a job mixing pigments and chemicals in a boot factory. Now, it wasn't known then how toxic that could be. (laughs) And she started experiencing dizzy spells. She left the job five months into the pregnancy after being warned that there may have been a risk to her unborn child. 
And now that's, it is very sad. It is. And I was doing the dishes and I was trying to envision the kind of boot that create, could create that evil. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I want to see the boots you believe to be evil. It's got to be a cowboy boot. Hashtag, no doubt. <laughs> hashtag evil boots. Tag us, judgy crime girls. Mm-hmm. If you believe that you have some evil boots, they could be walking around today. Yeah. It could know. it could be you. Mm-hmm. Could be your boots. <laughs> Do I have boots? I don't have boots. I mean, envision the kind of boots that created that evil. A cowboy boot. Boots. See, I'm thinking straps, chains. Leather. No. It's no. just. Seriously, have you seen cowboy boots? <laughs> have I seen them? Yeah, Malia grew up in them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. I'm just not a cowboy boot kind of person, I guess. Oh, you just think cowboy boots are evil in general? Yes. Nobody okay. should wear them. Who is with Claudia on this? Because I don't. I think they're kind of cute. Mm-hmm. A little. Gee. Well, anyway, Yeehaw. if you feel you have some snazzy boots, I want to see them. And I'll let you know if, they have, if they're Richard Ramirez. Um, so, of course, there's no doubt that this could have affected his development. And they said congenital disabilities were likely from that. Uh, his, because his four brothers and sisters, Robert, Ruth, Joseph, and Reuben were all born with birth defects. Mm. So I just kind of feel like good possibility. He had some things going on too, but in addition, you will not believe this. Oh my gosh. His parents were also explo- exposed to nuclear radiation. Oh, Hey, yeah, that might do it. I don't know. Or maybe she was huffing the paint thinner. <sighs> The U.S. government were conducting nuclear bomb tests near where they lived, and at that time, little was known or publicized about the detrimental effects of close proximity to this, but there was a high rate of birth defects in the area. Go figure. Mm. And it was brushed under the rug, as you do, and life went on. But it's funny, because later on, before he dies, you know, in jail, he, he turns green. He literally turns green. Now, he died of a blood cancer later mm-hmm. on. That's ultimately how he died. But, I mean, after reading this and researching, I like to think it it was linked back to well, and nuclear it, radiation. It probably, maybe. Could be. We don't know. Um, does it make me happy that he is green? Um, well, a little, because he's pure evil. Mm-hmm. So, forgive me. Sorry. The um, and there were head trauma. Not there was what head else? trauma involved. Uh, at the age of two, Richard had a dresser fall on top of him, knocking him unconscious. So he suffered a deep cut on his forehead, and the scar was visible even as an adult. Because they were probably like, "It'll scab over. You'll be okay," and just. Left but we eight. all know how important the frontal lobe is in your, you know, development. I feel like there's always a head trauma in these cases. Mm-hmm. Typically. Yeah, because most of the time, most of these people, these people, meaning serial killers, had a really, not an excuse, guys, don't come at me, had a really bad upbringing, were beating, were beaten, yeah. severely beaten. Yeah. Not just on the butt, a spanking. I mean, they were beaten. Right. So. Yeah, and that's not cool Mm-mm. at all. None of it is. No. So, um, at the age of five, he was knocked unconscious by a swing in the park playground and began experiencing epileptic fits as a result of the injury. So, and according to his biography.com profile, Ramirez suffered multiple head injuries at a young age. Hmm. So, I don't know what else happened. They probably beat him because there was some of that going on too. But he experienced up to two dozen absent seizures until his early teens. 
And it was weird because at the age of seven, he would talk about like having vivid dreams of monsters and seeing them run around the garden. Um, And it frightened him, but it was later said that may have been part of the seizures because you see things. Oh, okay. I don't know. But if you can imagine being scared all the time, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that had something to do with him wanting to scare others. Because that was what drove him, ultimately. The only thing that connected him to all of these murders was that he loved to see the fear on their face. Mm. That's what got him off, which is gross. Yeah. But that's what he liked. Terrifying. Um, So there was a long history of physical abuse in the family. His father was beaten extensively by his father and his grandfather. Um, And so it made him quiet and withdrawn. He vowed to, you know, never be violent toward his own children. But that, of course, didn't pan out. And later, once his oldest children were old enough to start getting into trouble, he would start, you know, beating them Mm -hmm. as he was. And Richard's older brother, Reuben, had developed a glue-sniffing habit. Didn't oh, just well, say that. Well, I said paint, paint thinner. Close enough. Uh, glue, but glue sticks? Is that what it says? Hashtag school shopping. Yeah. Get your school supplies. I'm getting off track you here. Know, and they're trusting five-year-olds with uh, those glue sticks. Oh, that's a mistake. Uh, so anyway, Reuben, he decided to glue sniff and one day was arrested in a stolen car. Um, he just kept getting beaten. Mm. Um, his brother Robert also started to experiment with drugs and his father, you know, started to really dive into abusing them. The youngest you know, was Richard. He witnessed a lot of what was going on in the house and he was scared shitless of his dad, Mm -hmm. you know, and when his older brothers, eventually they move out of the house. It was around that same time. His cousin Miguel, who went by Mike returned home from the Vietnam war. And he was a character. I don't know. He should have just never came, came back. So he came back and he would tell him, Horrible stories about the war and smoke weed with Richard, who had already been smoking for a couple of years. He started at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. So he would brag about the women he raped and showed him graphic Polaroids mm-hmm. of his victims. Oh, my God. He showed him one where he posed. Mike posed with the severed head of a woman and showed it to Richard. And it was said when his cousin showed him those photographs, um, Ramirez became sexually aroused. And it was right around the age of 13. So, well, I mean, but did it have anything to do with the pictures? Because we all know 13-year-old boys. I don't think, I think anything can set them off. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) I hate thinking about this. So, I can't move on. I'm sorry. Mike was the one who taught him to move quickly and on the sly to get what he wanted. And it was just, he. I think he was a big um, influence mm-hmm. on Richard. Do you think Richard. he kind of looked up on Miguel, Mike? Yes, I think he did. Looked up I, to him? Yeah, I don't think he really trusted his dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he just kind of used Mike as like a father figure, if you will. And, um, (laughs) so around that time, you know, he was sleeping in a local cemetery, Richard, to try to get away from his dad. And then he ends up, you know, witnessing Mike kill his own wife, Jesse. By shooting her in the face with a revolver during a domestic dispute. Oh, wow. Yeah. And 
she ends up dying and Mike told Richard not to tell anyone what he had seen. And Richard didn't. He kept it a secret. But instead, you know, he became more withdrawn and started stealing and getting high a lot more. He ended up moving in with his sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, who was an obsessive peeping Tom. Oh, my God. And he took Richard with him, didn't he? <laughs> yes. Oh, he did. Yes. I had no idea about his brother-in-law. This family. This family does not quit. I mean, if you think your family is bad, holy cow. So, get this. Um, Richard's dad was a former policeman. Oh, oh, it gets better and better. I know. Mm, okay. It's just crazy. So, Mike was eventually found to be not guilty of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity. Because oh, he was in the war? No. Um, well, he was guilty, but right. they, they proved he was insane. Mm -hmm. So he just went to a mental state hospital for four years. And then they were like, you can go home. Set you free. Yeah, so he... Got to hang out with his buddy Richard again, once again, and they were back at it, hanging out. So Ramirez, you know, his experiences led him down a darker path. Uh, he graduated from breaking and entering to assault. He dropped out of school, drug use, and then, did you just yawn? I did. I am so sorry, but not because I'm bored. Come here, I'm going to hit you. Please. I just, I didn't have my afternoon coffee. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't be, it's okay. Don't call me out like that. I leaned all the way back. Look. <laughs> Some people can't hear me. <laughs> we're real with our people. There are people. No, I, you know what it is. It is a little warm in here. And when it's warm, I get tired, but. Me too. It really, it was the coffee that I didn't have. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I let her down. I'm the barista of the house. You did make coffee this afternoon. You even said, will you drink a cup? And I said, yeah, sure. And then I never did. Morning, noon, and night. Yeah. That coffee maker works harder than all of us combined. Um, okay, where are we? <laughs> sorry. Uh, so around the age of 14, he started using LSD. Oh. So the documentary glosses over some of the social aspects of the case and he commits these crimes at the height of the satanic panic days in the 80s when America was convinced that all sorts of cultists ran around committed ritualistic crimes in the name of the devil. And it was like, if you listen to rock music, you were a Satanist. Oh, that's pretty much from what I'm gathering. You know, I was young, but it was kind of an evangelical time mm -hmm. where they were more aware and um, there was an uprising. Okay. And so I think um, if you remember the satanic panic days we would love to uh hear you chime in on your story about that yeah because i think that's a little interesting and i would love to dive into that with you andrea wasn't old enough and i was not in this country <laughs> so i don't know much about it at all yeah but anyway um so ramirez was a self-described satanist uh he would put the pentagram symbol on his hand and on some of his victims and on the walls, he claimed to follow Satan, you know, and so that he became the very image of what people envisioned themselves to fear at that time. And um, the documentary doesn't mention anything about that. Um, and yeah, so some of his victims suffered greatly. I mean, he was oh, vicious. Yeah. The, the murders themselves were truly 
bloody affairs. He killed the man and assaulted the woman, like I said, typically. But once he um, took a victim's eyes. Do you remember that part? No. Okay. So he cut out Maxine Zazara's eyes and took them with him. That was one of his victims. And I thought, why? You know, did she look at him wrong? Did he, you know, did she stare at him? So, because she was the only one that he cut her eyes out. Hmm. But I thought that was interesting that he took them. Or did she not look at him? <gasps> that could be. She wouldn't look at him. Maybe he was like, look at me, look at me. And, and she wouldn't look. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah. And that he took them. Oh my God. Some of these guys get off on the fear they see in you. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's like every dog I'm afraid of. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's telling me, don't be afraid. They'll sense your fear. I'm like, stop. stop. I can't breathe. (laughs) Yeah. So... In another one of his attacks, Patty Higgins was slashed and stabbed in, in, in the throat. And another victim, Florence Nutty Lang, who was 81, was beaten to death with a hammer. Very brutal. So they referred to him as an enraged killer because how vicious everybody was killed. And a lot of times he wouldn't just kill and leave. He stuck around and made himself comfortable. He would Okay, when he continued his um, killing spree in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. police said that he killed an accountant named Peter Pan and raped his wife, Barbara. Named what? Barbara? No. Peter Peter Pan? Pan. (laughs) I I know. I know. I know. Hard to forget, right? No, but seriously. he, He killed them, and Ramirez then ate everything in their fridge. He ate everything in their fridge. Threw it up on the kitchen floor, and then he masturbated on the living room floor. Okay, there's DNA everywhere. Everywhere. And then he wrote a satanic symbol on their wall. So, okay, so this is something I didn't know about him. All right. He misunderstood the lyrics to an ACDC song. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay, because at one of the murder scenes, he leaves behind this ACDC hat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's like a fan, right? So on March 17th, 1985, Ramirez hid in the garage of 22-year-old Maria Hernandez at her home in Rosemead, California. He shot at her head with a 22, but she protected her face with the bullet, and it ricocheted mm-hmm. off her car keys in her hands. But a roommate, 34-year-old. Wow. I know. And okay. Wow. No, no, no. I know. She she lived. So she goes around um, thinking he's going to go out the other way. But he actually comes out the door she's standing at. And I think he's just as shocked to see her as she is him. Mm-hmm. And he looks at her and he just walks away because he had already like attacked her roommate inside um so the murder scene there he left the acdc hat and images of the hat were released to the public and this was you know as crazy media frenzy connecting the the serial killer to the rock band so he misunderstood the lyrics to a track featured on the band's Highway to Hell album released five years before the killings began. Mm-hmm. The band's co-founder, Malcolm Young, explained that song is not called Night Stalker. It's called Night Prowler. And it's about things you used to do when you were a kid, like sneaking into your girlfriend's bedroom when her parents were asleep. The lyrics are, was that a noise out your window or a shadow on your blind? Are you lot? Are you lie there naked like a body in a tomb suspended animation as I slip into your room? But they're talking about sneaking into somebody's room that is interested in you. Yeah, that doesn't sound romantic at all. Come on, you weirdos. Uh, 
So lead singer Brian Johnson also added, it just sickens you, you know, it sickens you to have anything to do with that kind of thing. Gross. Mm. That somebody would take your lyrics and twist yeah. them to fit their mm -hmm. vibe, especially that kind of vibe. Yes. Okay. So mm -hmm. you watched the Cecil Hotel? I did. Okay. So he is one of the reasons the Cecil Hotel is so creepy. Mm -hmm. There have been many mysterious and disturbings at the Cecil Hotel, which we all know is the worst place on earth. It's now known as Stay on Main. They had to change the name because it was <laughs> terrible. So if you haven't seen that, you know, that's amazing as well. Um, do you remember the manager that kept, you know, talking to, interviewing? She always had, like, all kinds of excuses. She's like, well, we did everything we could. I don't know what happened. I don't know where they went. They just disappeared or they just mysteriously died. I mean, she defended that main stay on main hotel. She's like, we'll just dress up this side and make it look pretty on yeah. the front. And then everybody else stays on these floors. Right. <laughs> so you'd get on the elevator. Um, you know, you'd be from out of town and you would think everything's fine from the pictures mm -hmm. of the front of the hotel. But, you know, I don't remember what it was, but it was like certain floors were designated for like low income housing mm -hmm. for people that didn't have anywhere else to go. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing she could do about it. So she was just like you would get on the elevator and you would be next to Richard Ramirez and you would have no idea because some of those rooms were $14 a night right. to them. Mm -hmm. And um, pretty amazing, you guys, something that you don't want to, don't want to go to. Mm -hmm. We recommend Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so he stayed there during his killing spree in 85 and it was a short time frame. 85 was his summer. He mm -hmm. just rocked that whole summer and, and killed that whole time. Um, and it was the perfect accommodation for him because the police would not go in there. They wouldn't go into that hotel. Um, he would dump his bloody clothes around the back of the hotel and he would walk in the back wearing only underwear without raising any eyebrows. He just, no one wanted to be the person who called the cops. Oh. He would walk in in his underwear and nobody would say anything. That's how bad this hotel was, you guys. Hmm. So this guy was hard to catch. He really was. Um, but I love how he was caught. I mean, it's my favorite part of all of this. <laughs> love it too but i don't know how he hasn't gotten how they didn't catch him sooner with semen uh, probably all kinds of other dna on the scene uh the hat there was probably hair or whatever and i'm sure he he was arrested prior to that maybe not piddly charges but so, yes but there was one badass witness managed to note the license plate of the car he was driving, um, which led police to a single partial fingerprint. Mm -hmm. okay. And I told Emery when she gets her first car, we're going to have to figure out what license plate we want to give her. And um, anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm being clever here. Okay. So apparently the task force uh, looking for the Night Stalker had already, they were already clued in as to his name. They already had a name. Um, so only the records for men were checked against the fingerprint. Although the LA Police Department's new multi-million dollar computer database of fingerprints only contained the records of criminals born after January of 1960 and Richard Ramirez who had a record of petty crimes, had been born February of 1960. Oh. oh okay. So they lucked out, really, because, I mean, it, it goes back to January. He was born in February, so they just made it. Wow. They were able to match him with that fingerprint to that car. It's a beautiful thing. So he had been out of town in Tucson. 
he made his first stop at a liquor store where he noticed his picture all over the front page of newspapers. Um, you know, he noticed someone looking at him, recognized him, and, and he ran. He boards the bus, but somebody recognizes him there as well. Mm-hmm. Police, you know, are notified at this point. They're tracking him, and he begins running throughout East L.A., but there's nowhere to hide. You know, there's a bounty out for his ass. Everybody wants him. So uh, he was unarmed and unprepared for five guys that that pretty much led to an angry mob mm-hmm. of what looks like a, around 75 people, yeah. approximately. Think of was that part of that community. They all just kind of rushed him yeah one of them beat him with a pipe okay <laughs> but the funny thing is those five guys they mm-hmm. they were named heroes the the you know they honored them mm-hmm. and they did give them the award money as promised you like each family mm-hmm. um were recognized and, oh, and it was nice. funny because one of them said he laughed and he said well had i realized who he even was i would have got more help <laughs> so funny but um (laughs) let me see they so they were just trying to protect their families they had no anticipation of a glory or a reward um so jose bergone manuel de la torres uh frank moreno faustino pinon and carmelo robles so each family was given six thousand dollars for their help that was a lot of money back then. But give me $6,000 now, that's a lot of money now, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, imagine how many lives they saved. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know, and they had to be so proud. Mm-hmm. All of them, really. I just love how everybody came together and they were like, not in our town, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, what other, what other serial killer can you think of where... The entire town was like, not today, motherfucker, yeah. and went after them. It was just a beautiful thing. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it because he came back from visiting family not knowing that everybody knew who he was. And he was all over the place, or his picture was all over the place, not knowing. You know, that is what I loved. And he's like, dude, dude, dude. Well, shit. <laughs> Completely caught off guard. Like, totally caught off guard. Love I love it. that. Yes. So when he was taken into custody, he refused to talk about anything relating to the crimes. He opened up about his family and childhood. Um, so get this. They fixed his rotten teeth before he appeared in court. They did that for him. Um, he was identified by a composite sketch with the badly rotten teeth, his surviving victims claimed the killer, you know, and that was one of the ways they identified him um, and linked him to certain things. It was iconic the way his teeth were. He was, what does it say? He was missing nine teeth from both his lower and upper gums. Wasn't he the one that smelled super bad? He was not wearing Chanel. No. He smelled bad. I mean, yeah, maybe it was some because people said about his body odor. He smelled really, really bad. Yeah. And that he had some kind of, I don't know, some kind of disorder, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And so they fixed his teeth and he appeared delighted with it as he flashed his new creepy smile at the jurors in the courtroom. I bet he felt like a million bucks when he got his teeth fixed. Gross. Well, in a way they kind of treated him like a celebrity. They did. You know, they instead did. of the monster that he was. Yeah. And he was, you know, he had so many sex crimes against children um, that weren't even, he wasn't even charged with because he was going to plead not guilty. That means the kids would have to go to trial mm-hmm. and he was already on death row for all the other murders. So they were just like, 
it's not worth it. Right. You know, and he really made a circus of his trial, which, which was lengthy, unfortunately. And he would hold up a pentagram, pentagram on his, you know, hand, Mm -hmm. uh, to people. Yeah. I think that's one of his most famous pictures, really. When you Google him and Mm -hmm. images, that's one of the first ones that come up where he's, you know, kind of like a hail Satan or whatever he says when he walks out. I don't know. So he was married when he was in prison. He had a lot of groupies, oh, as you do. I know, I know. Uh, and she decided to divorce him. Oh, shocker. No. <laughs> really? No, there was no marriage advice. There was no marriage counseling. They were not married for life? No, it didn't. It didn't work out, you guys. Um, Even though his wife once described him as kind, funny, and charming during a 1997 interview with CNN, uh, this news changed after um, it was confirmed that he had raped and murdered a nine-year-old. May Lung, L-E-U-N-G. So I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or not. But anyway, apparently it doesn't matter. Like if you're 80, that's okay. But if you're nine, it's just, that's enough for a divorce. Yeah. So, um, anyway, there was a lot of interesting information about the wedding and pictures and who attended. I I won't go into all that. I got a note from my next wedding event. Oh my God. This, yeah. If you need a DJ... Give Claudia a jingle. Holler. She can hook you up. Holler. Holler me. Oh, my God. So, um. Okay, I got to look up that wedding. We, okay. Well, so, yeah. And they married at California's San Quentin State Prison in 1996. And Richard's brother, Joseph, <gasps> and his teen daughter and his sister, Ruth, came. And you remember, Ruth was his sister, sister. he moved in with mm-hmm. for a while. With the um, peeping Tom. Yes. Okay. So, apparently, Ruth, I mean, Ruth's husband wasn't at the wedding. I'm going to assume it didn't work out with peeping mm. Tom. And um, so, anyway, Doreen... Leoy was the person, the lucky lady that got to marry Richard Ramirez. That was her name. Um, but there were, I mean, <gasps> hordes of groupies that bombarded Ramirez for attention and letters. And I'm saying, women, okay, he went down the street as he. Oh my God. They had a picturesque background in prison, like mountains. And stuff. <laughs> when you get married in prison, you get a fake background as on that brick wall. As if you are in Colorado or something. It's beautiful mountains, but really, it's bars. Yeah. She's looking at the reporter like. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Don't ask me that. Tell me more. Um, I don't want to deal with you. So he, Ramirez refused to explain why he killed so many people, but said, you know, a serial killer comes about by circumstances like a recipe. Poverty, drugs, child abuse, these things, you know, contribute to a person's frustration and anger. And at some point he just exploded. But, you know, he wasn't the original Night Stalker. That's somebody else. I'm sure you already knew that the East Area Rapist was con- like considered the original Night Stalker, but there were similarities. But there's two of them, FYI. So the original did pretty much the same thing, or well, break into people's homes and rape the women, and yeah, he he was the East Area Rapist, and um, he was also in California. From 76 to 79. And he would invade the homes as well. And he kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Um, So Ramirez said in an interview behind bars, we've all got the power in our hands to kill, but most people are afraid to use it. The ones who aren't afraid control life itself. 
And that was him. And that is why you were behind bars and I am not. That's right. And so my token, I don't know, you guys, I'm, is I'm that a dentures? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking a boot. I think, I think it'll be a cowboy boot okay. for you. For you, it'll be a cowboy boot. We're going to have to Google this boot factory. What kind of boots they made? They made rancher or cowboy boots. No, no steel toe. If Don't forget to tag me. I want to see your boots. Yes. Hashtag judgy crime girls. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you very much. I'm so sorry. I'm Googling Richard Ramirez's oh mother's boot factory. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. I hope you learned something you didn't know about this crazy psycho. Well, I did. Don't hit your head. Brush your teeth. And, uh, yeah. And don't go live with your sister. Okay. Hmm. Just. Well, live with your sister, but if your sister's husband is a peeping Tom, rat him out. Don't tag along. I don't know. Stay away from the Polaroids. Yes. I don't know. Don't get, don't marry men in prison. Don't do it. Hmm. No. If you, and once again, you know, if you need dating advice, you can always email us, judgycrimegirls at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We'll lead you down the path. We'll give it to you straight. We will approve or deny the application. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Please give us five stars on Apple. Share with your friends how amazing this was mm-hmm. or horrible, however you, however you do. Yeah. Anyway, until then... Claudia and I will have some fun without you and we will see you next week. Awesome. Bye. Thank you. Bye.